Um, like Dwight said, the church is not a building. It's not Sunday morning. Uh, we may not be able to gather together, but um, the early church met in all kinds of places. And I know that it's winter. I know that it's dark. I know it's harder to uh, meet together. But please, try with all your might to be meeting with each other. It's such a phenomenal and profound thing that happens spiritually when we are able to meet with each other. For myself personally, I was just so incredibly encouraged by uh, what Dwight just said. And uh, if he hadn't have said that and I hadn't have been around him, who knows what, what kind of disencouragement I still might have. The, the church needs to be together in community. God has existed in community since eternity past in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So likewise, take advantage of the opportunities that you do have to meet with each other in whatever way you feel comfortable. And please, if you're not connected to a city group or to a change group, you need to be connected. So please reach out to anyone in the church or one of the elders and let us know so that we can get you connected. Be encouraged and be a friend to as many people as you can during this dark time. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Well, I want to explain to you uh, why we're preaching John 21, 15 through 19 today. Uh, And this is the best way I can describe it. I love brunch with friends. Wow. Never in my life am I more giddy than when I am at brunch. See, what happens is I know I don't look like it, but I actually eat a lot of food. And breakfast, unlike some people, for me, breakfast is such a big deal. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm super grumpy the whole day. So what happens in the brunch experience for me is I skip brunch, right? Because if I'm going to be extorted $35 for two eggs and some toast and a little cute fruit skewer, you know, I want to be like hungry for it and enjoy it. So I skip breakfast and I don't have my coffee. And I sit down at the brunch table. I'm there with my friend who I haven't seen in a while. I'm so excited to see them, so excited to be with them at that time because I'm an extrovert and I just love people. And these people are serving me way too much coffee. And I don't really notice how much I'm drinking. And so I'm getting a spike from that. And I also love orange juice, favorite juice in the world. So I'm drinking too much of that. So I'm getting a spike from the coffee. I'm getting a spike from the orange juice. And then finally my breakfast comes that I have been just ravenously raging for, for, you know, five hours. And I eat it up super fast. And then I get a spike from that. I'm with my friend. I'm laughing at things that aren't even funny. I have to keep checking myself to make sure that I'm not too loud. Brunch is the greatest experience in life for me. And I know that a lot of you, who know me personally are probably terrified to imagine me with more energy. So if that's something that you want to stay away from, don't come to brunch with me. If you want to have a great time, best time of your life, let's have brunch. Um, Heaven is probably going to be brunch and karate time with Jesus for me all, all day, every day. So the reason why I'm talking about this is because you're all so giddy. Happy New Year. That's what happens in the New Year, right? We all get super giddy. And you've had some time off. You're super relaxed from the holiday festivities. Uh, Christmas is over. So, you know, you've, you're kind of winding down a little bit. But you've probably had a few too many coffees. And you've probably started to enter this cycle where you're thinking about all the ways you're going to be better 
next year. And you set all these goals, and most of them, I'm sorry, are super unrealistic. I think that we all do this. We make goals like, I'm going to read five books you know, this year. I'm going to read five books a week. I'm going to read five books a day. You, you just go on and on. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose all the weight. I'm going to be a marble statue in swimwear this year. You know, you, you say, just, you say I, I'm going to read the Bible six times. I'm going to read the Bible every single day. I'm going to control myself in brunch situations. Uh, I'm going to eat more vegetables. I'm going to eat only vegetables. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit loitering. I'm going to quit sugar. I'm going to quit toxic relationships, like whatever. You, you make all these big audacious claims. We all do about all the things that we're going to quit. And it comes from this momentary, blinded, forget, forgetting of our true nature. And it's amazing to me how we continually set these goals, and unfortunately, and not, not always and not for all people, but naturally, we fail at a lot of them. We think sometimes that a miraculous change has taken place to our nature where this time for real, we're just going to be better. But we failed a lot. And we probably will continue to fail again because that's the human condition. And so why we're preaching on John 21, 15 through 19 is because I want to talk to you about the good news that the only New Year's resolution you really need to have and I promise this won't be a New Year's resolution sermon, but the only one you really need to have is to know Jesus and to love him more. At this point, if you haven't checked your email, it's already full of uh, scam spams saying, New Year, New You, which is just a marketing campaign to get your money and manipulate you. The truth of the redemptive work of God is that it's a new year with the same you but most importantly, the same God. Happy New Year. Let's talk about the same you, and let's talk about our same God who never changes. So John 21, 15 through 19 says this. When they had finished breakfast, now Jesus has resurrected from the dead at this point, and he sees the disciples. He calls to them from the shore. They're out on the boat. He calls them to come to the shore with him to have breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than all these people here? And Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. But then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he responded to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, simply, follow me. So what's happening here? Jesus is redeeming Peter. See, the the background context of this is that Jesus was sitting down at a table with all of the disciples before he was arrested and crucified. And at that table, he had a conversation with all of his disciples where he was explaining to them what was going to happen, how he was going to be taken, how he's going to be arrested, how he was going to die. And he also foretold about how he would raise from the grave and rise from the grave. And uh, um, he says to Peter at the, at the table while we're there, he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you so that he can sift you like wheat, so he can just mess you up. But I have prayed for you that, when you that your faith may not fail, and when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. So what Jesus is saying there in that passage is, Peter, you're gonna leave here, and you're gonna, you're gonna fall away a little bit, but when you return to me, I need you to strengthen your brothers. And Peter says a big, bold, audacious, just grand claim. He says, Jesus, I'm ready to go with you even unto prison or death, i.e., I'll never deny you. What are you talking about? And Jesus responds, Peter, I tell you the truth. The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times this night. So it comes to pass that Jesus is arrested that night and Peter is out outside of the temple where Jesus is being kept and he's warming his hands on a fire. And people are coming up to him or passing him or noticing him and they're saying, hey, I know that guy. He was with Jesus of Nazareth, the guy, the guy claiming to be the Messiah who's arrested now and in this place. And Peter says three times, I have no idea who you are talking about. I am not that man. I do not know Jesus. Completely denies Jesus. And sure enough, a rooster crows. And Peter runs away in shame. I want to talk to you today about how Jesus can rescue you from the cycle of shame and death that are brought about by sin. So Jesus is redeeming Peter from Peter's denial of him. But you know, as I reflected on this passage, I realized that denial of Jesus can have so many forms. It can look like blatant sin, for those of us who know Jesus and are in the fold, we can be denying Jesus by refusing to repent of habitual sin. We can be denying Jesus by just a lack of thankfulness for all that he has done and choosing instead to be constantly pessimistic or um, unthankful, ungrateful. Denial can also look like self-serving or lack of worship or blatant disobedience to his word. And sometimes it can look like it did for Peter with self-protecting. I think that that's what Peter was doing. He was in an understandably dark time, and he was very confused. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but what, Jesus, what Peter was doing was he was protecting himself instead of the name of Jesus. He was choosing to protect his own image to other people because he was ashamed of Jesus. And uh, I think that this is something that we do in in many ways. We're going to come back to that. This passage also has a lot to say about apostasy. If you don't know what apostasy is, I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to define it for you. But first, I really want to take a moment to try and understand 
what was happening here with Peter. Peter was in a dark time, a confusing time. We're in a dark time and a confusing time. The confusing time for Peter was that he was in a, just a tidal wave of very confusing, conflicting ideas and emotions. He had been following this guy who was claiming to be the Messiah and performing all of these miracles in full faith that that was Jesus Christ, the Christ, God, the Messiah come to earth. And now he's standing outside of a temple where the Messiah just got arrested. And Peter is also probably very confused about this because in antiquity, the Jews kind of expected the Messiah to be a warrior who would liberate them from their oppressors. And certainly they were under a, a deep, cruel, malicious, fascist government, the Roman Empire. And Peter had thought, perhaps, that Jesus was going to end that and establish his kingdom. Yet Peter just saw that same night, Jesus willingly allowing himself, God, willingly allowing himself to be arrested by them. The night gets worse. Now Peter hears that after a laughing stock of a trial, they're going to crucify Jesus. They're going to kill him. And Peter is understandably confused and, and maybe from his perspective, he wonders if he was deceived this whole time. Maybe from his perspective, he, this just wasn't the ending that he expected. And so perhaps he has shame and guilt about finding himself as a fool, maybe, thinking that he had been just way too deep in some kind of scheme or not listening to the judgment and words of all of his friends around him telling him, this is foolish, what are you doing? I, I get Peter. I get Peter. And I think that people are often too quick to jump on the bandwagon of uh, judging Peter for this. And so that's why I want to come back to Apostasy. Apostasy is best described as a verse in 1 John 2.19. It says, they left us because they were never with us. You know, apostasy isn't always um, apostasy. There, there is, well, let me clarify that. There's a difference between living in habitual sin, just a lack of repentance, or wandering a little bit, loving Jesus but wandering a little bit and just as that verse defines apostasy, leaving the church because they were never a part of the church. You know, Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 24, 13, he says, those who are faithful to the end shall be saved. I find this so interesting of a verse to think about when considering apostasy because the truth is that we never really know who's actually saved. The only kind of minor glimpse of certainty we can have is if someone lived a faithful life up until the end. And even then, we're not entirely sure, right? Because people can have a morally good appearing life on the outside, but not know Jesus truly on the inside and thus not be saved not be spared. But I think that 
we are too quick as individuals to jump to the conclusion that we know someone has left the faith or left the church just because of our opinions about them. And it, it reminds me of something St. Augustine said. He said, be careful not to judge your righteousness according to the sins of others. Um, Jesus foretold that Peter would come back. And Jesus said to him during that time, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. I think that all of us have some friends right now who are being silly, let's say, and claiming that they never knew Jesus or refusing to live lives that adequately represent Jesus or just choosing to live their own lives however they want and not wanting to be affiliated with Jesus at all. I'd ask you not to give up on those people and I'd ask you to consider your own heart and I'd ask you to focus on your own heart and how quick it is to wander away from God. I'd ask you also to reach out to that person, tell them that you love them and strive to communicate to them the truth of the gospel which is how God can rescue us from that cycle of shame that comes about from choosing sin through his redemptive work of grace that is undeserved for any individual period ever. The forgiveness of God is beyond human comprehension. God can forgive deeper than you can imagine. So don't give up on your friends and don't give up on yourself. Jesus can liberate you from your own personally put self-inflicted cycle of shame and regret that is caused when you choose sin. All you have to do to break that cycle is to cry out to him when you're tempted that he would help you and choose not to sin. Those who are in Christ are new creations. We are rescued from a bondage, from a slavery to sin, and we become in bondage to righteousness. Those who know Jesus, the cries of our heart are just like Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus isn't waiting for you to come back with a big stick so he can beat you. Jesus is waiting longingly and patiently for you to come back to him just so that he can love you. Happiness, happiness is knowing Jesus and happiness is found for believers when they seek holiness instead of sin. Seek to know Jesus, seek to love him more and he will aid you in that. Jesus is understanding. Put your sin away for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's what Galatians 5.1 says. If you're listening today and you don't yet believe in Jesus, this is available to you. This is what you need. 
above everything else, above anything else in all of existence, you have a fundamental problem that we all share. And that is that we are all stuck with our sin problem that we can do nothing about. The redemptive work of Jesus available to you is that he came like us, suffered in every way that you have ever suffered, was tempted in any way you could ever be tempted, and yet remained perfect. He came as fully man to suffer, to suffer so that he could be a sympathetic high priest for you who, who gets it. Jesus gets it. He knows what is going on in the deep, dark depths of your heart. He knows what's going on with your doubt. He knows what's going on with your addictions. The root of all of those problems is our shared collective sinful nature that has fallen away from God. Jesus wants to restore you to himself by just having a relationship with him. There's nothing really you need to do except just believe that you are a sinner who needs the help of God to be saved from your endless cycle of shame, death, misery, doubt, addiction, despair that is caused by sin. Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. Following Christ is the highest aspiration. See, the the satisfaction of Christ, what makes God happy, the satisfaction of Jesus is that he is able to free you from sin. And the merit of Christ, the reason why he did it was so that you could have happiness in its truest exclusive form. Joy is available to you when you seek God. Happiness comes about, satisfaction, peace, calmness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things come about when we entrust ourselves to God, even in the dark times that we don't understand and we seek him instead of seeking ourselves. I'm gonna talk also about how we're united as a family of faith to love and serve one another like Jesus did. In John 21, as Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? He responds to him, okay, I want you to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, it's true that this passage is a guide for pastors This is a pastor's highest calling, right? And Peter was being called to follow Jesus in this way specifically, to love Jesus by feeding others. Going back to how Jesus foretold, when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. But this passage, that section there, isn't just exclusively for Peter or for pastors, it's for you. Because we are a priesthood of believers and we each play an individual role in each other's lives. This is why we need to be connected with one another, because we need to strengthen one another. If you're like me, you need somebody in your life who is naturally very positive and encouraging. If you are that person, the church needs you. The church needs your encouragement right now. If you are blessed with the gift of kindness, gentleness, or encouragement, please use those gifts to care 
for the church and care for those who are living alone. We were designed to live in community. It is only a deep-seated self-righteous arrogance that says you can live the Christian life apart from the church. If you believe that, I want to say something to you in gentleness. I want you to really, really dwell on this. I mentioned this at the beginning of my sermon. God has exemplified everything he's ever called us to do. And God himself has existed in community since eternity past through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If God himself dwells in community, you also need to be in it. Do not separate yourself during this time. Do not separate yourself during this time. We need each other. We are a family of faith. We need to feed each other with the bread of life that fills us and leaves none hungry. We need to spend time with one another in whatever capacity we have to build one another up. If you know somebody who lives alone, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You need to reach out to that person and love them and care for them. Finally, I want to say one more thing. I find it so interesting how Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Because it says that Peter became grieved in his spirit to hear it be demanded of him three times. Do you love me, Peter? And he says to him, Jesus, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. And he was grieved. I think that Jesus had to push Peter to that point of grief so that Peter could understand the grief that he caused Jesus in denying him three times. If you are wayward right now in a life of habitual, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, come back. Come back. There may be consequences, but there's never condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only love, only mercy, only forgiveness. Jesus is waiting for you. But Jesus had to push Peter to this point so that Peter could strengthen his brothers. Second Corinthians 1 is such a beautiful passage. I invite you to dwell on it. It says, blessed be the God and Father of all of our comfort, who comforts us in our time of need, so that we, with which the comfort we have received, may also comfort others. Embrace this dark time. Let the suffering, the depression, the misery, the anxiety, let let those things come and take them to Jesus and know that what Jesus is doing is he is using your experiences to build you closer to him, to understand his suffering more so that you can become more like him so that then you can strengthen and help others. Happy New Year. 
God is faithful even when we are faithless. And he loves you. And I invite you to focus your lives, not just this year, but your lives on striving to know and love Jesus more. Let me pray for you. God, you are good. You are loving. You are kind. You are patient. You are sympathetic. You are understanding. Thank you, God, how you have displayed to all of mankind once and for all that you are truly God through your factual resurrection and how it is through that resurrected power you can redeem any person who comes to you no matter what and make them a new creation whose cry of heart transfers from I want sin to I love you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would go forth by your spirit to make new creations today. In Jesus' name, amen.